Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Abby Carcio. And I'm your other host, Sydney Cummings. And from wherever you're listening, welcome to Megged, a women's soccer podcast where we talk about anything and everything related to the women's professional sport. These are our unsolicited football opinions. You didn't ask for them, but we're going to give them. And who knows? Maybe you'll agree. Maybe you'll disagree. But that's the beauty of the game and what's kept us friends for so long. This episode, we'll be discussing part two in our FIFA ranking series. Move your feet. This is Megged. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Megged. Abby, how are you? I am... Doing pretty well. Uh, we had the weekend off last weekend, so I went to Spain, got a little bit of sun. Um, but what's making me even better is I watched the Arsenal-Wolfsburg Champions League game, which unfortunately Arsenal lost 3-2 in the last minute of overtime. But I thought it was an amazing game for the women's game. There were 60,000 fans at the Emirates Stadium, total sellout. And yeah, it was just amazing to see both teams put in great shifts. It was great football to watch. It was entertaining. And yeah, I think it's it's really changing the game in England. Yeah, honestly, the pictures and everything about the 10-year difference between when those teams played in 2013 versus when they just played, incredible. Like to see the the way the game is changing and growing it's night and day. Obviously, there's a lot more that needs to be done and there's way more progress. And 10 years, I personally think is too long, but really great to see the women's game growing in that way, being able to sell out that stadium, win or lose. It's it's beautiful. Absolutely. But how are you doing, Sid? Yeah, things are good. I'm headed home soon, back to the States. Um, positive with that is that recording this will become a lot easier <laughs> with the time difference. Looking forward to seeing friends, family, um, a bit of normalcy. I've obviously loved my time here in Australia, but uh, it'll be nice to be close to my family again. So looking forward to that. And I will say going home means we're that much closer to the World Cup kicking off. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to us breaking down the final five teams in our series one through five, let's kick it off with number five, France. So working our way backwards, starting with France, number five, we've talked about them a bit before on this podcast with a bit of controversy with their old coach, but now they'll have a new coach, Renard, taking over, and we'll see those players who there was a real question mark around if we were going to see them. So Renard, Diani. So we're including them as key players for this French team. But Abs, who else are you excited to see looking into this World Cup? Yeah, so playing in France, I've had the pleasure of playing against uh, Lyon and One of the players that stood out as just unbelievable with her pace is Cascarino. She plays outside back um, and up the wing, and I just think she's going to have a great tournament. Uh, You also have Henri back in the mix, who the previous coach kept out of camp um, for years, and she was brought back in and scored a goal in her 
comeback game. So I'm excited to see if Henri makes the squad and if she gets on the pitch. Yeah, and I feel like all these players that we're mentioning, specifically Cascarino, like fits the French style of play so well. They're such a sneaky transition team. Like you don't necessarily think of them as a transition team per se, but then how quickly they can counter and possess the ball up the field. And before you know it, boom, balls in the back of the net. I love watching them play. Yeah, they're a really exciting team to watch. I just feel like there's a huge question mark around France anytime there's a major tournament. In the past couple ones, they've they've always put on a good show, but can they get results? Usually when they go down a goal, you know, it's it's another one that they take or they can't find a solution to those problems. So I'm curious how they're going to problem solve in this tournament. That's fair. I will say in the April window, uh, they played Columbia and they went down in that game and were able to rally back and win 5-2. Obviously, it's not the same as playing U.S., which is who they lost to in the quarterfinals in the 2019 World Cup to knock them out. But I don't know, maybe maybe things are changing for them and there won't be as much stage fright on the big stage for them come this World Cup. They've got something to prove, I feel. I think also with a new coach coming in, there was obviously controversy with Renard and and Kototo and Diani. I think this could be the spark to ignite something special in France. You saw the coach, Renard, uh, coach Saudi Arabia in the Men's World Cup, last World Cup, and it was so exciting to see how the players really followed him, and I'm hoping he's going to do the same on the women's side. Yeah, a lot of potential there. And I feel like when we're talking about potential, we have to talk about a team that's currently sitting in fourth place in the FIFA ranking, England. Avi. I hate to say it, but England is under a curse right now. We are seeing player after player after player suffer some kind of injury. Honestly, I feel like it's all related to knee injuries. So if you haven't listened to our previous episode with Emma Robers about injuries, specifically ACL, give that a listen. Um, She gives us really good insight about what that's like dealing with it. But we now have Fran Kirby coming in with that list of players missing the World Cup for England due to a knee injury. Abs, you and I love watching England. So many of them play for Arsenal. Tell me your thoughts. Where are we going to see England now? Yeah, I said every day I look on Twitter and there's something else going wrong for England. They're so exciting for me. I, I follow the WSL very closely. I really admire Serena Wegman, their coach. But yeah, honestly, they can't catch a break. You have Beth Mead, who has an ACL. You have Leah Williamson, who just recently did her ACL. You have Frank Kirby now out. You have Millie Bright and Lucy Bronze question marks with potential knee injuries. And then on top of that, you have Ellen White and Jill Scott, who retired from the last Euros team. So I saw a photo of the starting 11 of the Euros final, and it's like all of those players are missing. I think there are like five healthy players. So I'm really concerned of how injuries are going to affect this squad. The one thing that I will say, you mentioned the coach, Wegman at the helm, she's by far one of the best coaches in the game. And I'm not even going to say women's game, men's game. She is an incredible coach, point blank, period. So I do think that if someone can manage a squad when you have key players fall like that, it will be her. I'm interested to see what she does with that. But there are other great players that are around in England. Obviously, Mary Earps has been fantastic between the pipes. 
Kelly with the game winner in the Euros final. Alessio Russo has been a joy to watch. And you have James at Chelsea. So I do think that the players that they have, especially on the attacking side, will still carry. The question mark for me, I had, honestly, I thought England was the pick. Prior to all of this, all these people falling, to me, I thought England had the best opportunity to win. And now I can confidently say I no longer feel that way. Yeah, I'm still not giving up complete hope. Like you said, offensively, they're very strong. You also have Lauren Hemp in that mix. Um, She's a fun one to watch. Incredible pace up the wing. And then you have Ella Toon, who's slipping into the midfield. So she's kind of replacing Fran Kirby in that role. Like you said, my concern is defensively. So you lost Leah Williamson, who is your captain and your starting center back. Potentially, you lost Millie Bright. I do think she's going to be back. So let's say she's back, right? You still have an issue where you have to slip Alex Greenwood into the center back position, and then you're losing your outside back. So how are you going to fill that role? But my other concern is you have zero depth at the sixth position. You have Kira Walsh, who is amazing at the six. She's probably the best six in the world right now. But there are a lot of games in the World Cup, and let's say she's exhausted or let's say god forbid she gets an injury leah williamson was that answer to replace your six and now you have no one so i'm curious who they're going to bring in and how they're going to manage that yeah there's definitely going to have to be some squad management when we're looking at england so how are the euro champions gonna ride their high from that tournament and bring it into the world cup i think is the really big question mark surrounding that group And that brings us to number three, Sweden, who I hate to say it, but I feel like there's a big question mark just around them in general. Maybe it's harsh for me to say, but I feel like when the next FIFA ranking comes out, Sweden will not be in the top five anymore. They've kind of just fallen off in terms of consistent performance. Um, They tied Norway 3-3 in the April window, but lost to Denmark. I saw them play here in Australia and as we've kind of mentioned on this podcast, Australia is just, you know, going up and up and up. But I expected Sweden to dominate that game and Australia completely annihilated them. So that's not the Sweden I feel like, Abby, you and I grew up watching. Like, I remember watching them against the U.S. and literally every tournament they would play each other. And sometimes I would find myself like rooting for Sweden because they were so good the way that they stood up to the U.S. in their primes. Yeah, I think Sweden plays a type of football that worked in the last decade. But as the women's game is growing on the defensive side, I think their counters are easier to defend. And I also think, you know, having an organized defense is it's mandatory now. It's standard. And so that's something that used to help them stand out. Whereas now I think you have teams like Spain that possess the ball really well in the final third that can easily kind of break down an organized defense. So I don't really know what their X factor is. And I think that's the reason why they're going to struggle in this World Cup. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how head coach Peter Yaridson coaches the big name players that we'll see in the World Cup, Aslani, Bastinius, Eriksson. But I mean, that's not enough, right? You're going to need people to step up big time for Sweden and I honestly hope they play well. I've always enjoyed watching them play. Like I said, when they used to play against the U.S., it was always a great game every single time. And so I'm hoping they can continue that. But at the rate that they're going, I definitely think we're going to see them fall a bit in the FIFA ranking. But honestly, that means nothing. 
at the World Cup, anybody can beat anybody. So I really hope that that they can bring it for their group stage and find a good placement for themselves moving into knockout stage. Yeah, my player to watch, I think, is Rolfo from Barcelona. I think she's going to be their answer going forward. Um, but I'm also curious to see what formation they come out in. We've seen them in a bunch of different shapes. I'm curious if they're going to go to a three-back in this tournament. We saw them experiment with that um, in the past two years. And so, yeah, I'm excited to see uh, what shape they come out in. I think it's safe to say that maybe so far in the top five, they're our biggest question mark. Fair? Absolutely. Moving on to number two, Germany. Obviously, we just saw a lot of players with the Wolfsburg-Arsenal game. Um, so there are, some of them will be coming off of that club high. But what are you thinking, Abs, when it comes to Germany? I'm always a big fan of their play. I don't know so much about their players as as you do, but in terms of their play and the way that we've seen them compete over the years, they are just stone hard, cold competitors. Like they run everything in a very tight ship. They're hard to play around. They're hard to outbody. Um, when I think of the the teams that really have a physical presence, I feel like. Germany and the U.S. really give people a run for their money. Maybe not the U.S. currently, old U.S. used to give people a run for their money. And so I personally like teams like that where you can disrupt play because of your presence. It's intimidating on the field. And I think that goes a long way. Yeah, I mean, Germany is a team that performs in big tournaments, in my opinion. Um, they came in second place in the Euro final and nearly should have won that game. And so, yeah, like you're saying, I, I know I watch a lot of uh, Wolfsburg and, and some of the German league. And so I'm familiar with a lot of the players. And I just think that from front to back, they have amazing, amazing players. And I think what Germany does well is that they play together. They really just know each other's patterns. It seems like they're communicating without even communicating. And so key players to watch, Alex Pop, obviously, she ended up missing the Euros final to an injury and warm up. And she's just someone that scores goals in big moments. She's excellent aerially. And I'm excited to see how many goals she puts in the back of the net. Lena Oberdorf is 21 years old, but already a mainstay in the German colors. And yeah, she's one of the best sixes in the world. She's just strong. She just bodies people. And you also have Magul in the midfield and, and Hendrik defensively. So I'm excited to see how these players operate together. And all of those players are going to be led by head coach Boss Tecklenburg, who just resigned with the German national team, has been with them for a while, obviously knows how to lead them. They're a well-oiled machine. So doing a great job day in and day out, whether it's friendlies or it's um, big tournaments like the Euros, like you said, Abs. Yeah, one person that we're going to miss in this tournament, well, i.e. Abby's really going to miss, is one of my favorite players, is Marjan. Um, she currently plays for Lyon. And she's been, she's basically a German legend. Um, she actually opted out of the tournament. She said her knee just doesn't hold up anymore, which I think was really respectable, giving someone else a chance to, to step in and allow Germany to have the best opportunity to get the gold. Um, but yeah, it's going to be tough not watching her. She's, uh, she's an entertaining player. Yeah, so it will definitely be interesting to see how Germany fares I, I like them as a, as a pick. We'll, we'll definitely break that down in later episodes about who we think from this top 10 and honestly, 
all the teams in the tournament are really going to make a run. But definitely keep an eye out for Germany leading up to this World Cup. And drumroll, that brings us to number one, Team USA. I have mixed emotions about this team, obviously, growing up watching them. I'm a big fan of their play, winning the previous World Cup, um, having a bit of a disappointing Olympics. I feel like they have something to prove. But if I'm being completely honest, I'm not sure they have the people to do it. Abs, we talk about Team USA all the time. And I am not a fan of the way Vlatko went about the transition from old to new. I just feel like the current squad doesn't gel super well together. Obviously, there's great players. Alex Morgan is still performing at a peak level. Naomi Gurma is the next up-and-coming best center back in the world. Sophia Smith is stellar. And then you have a very poor midfield behind Rose LaBelle, Lindsay Horan, and Julie Ertz, assuming we're going to see her back in there. But with the missing players, Swanson doing her patella, Sam Mewis with this crazy knee injury, and then Kristen Press and Tobin Heath kind of like getting the boot, even though they were injured and like never really found their way in with Vlatko. I don't know. I just feel like this team has such great potential always, and they do really well in big tournaments. But for some reason, I have a bad feeling about this World Cup. Yeah, I think you saw this transition between Jill Ellis and Vlatko. And this is, aside from the Olympics, this is the cycle that we were waiting for to see Vlatko perform on the big stage. And I I feel like since he's come in, we've lost this sense of ruthlessness. Like we come into every match and we are going to destroy you, regardless if it's a friendly or not. And yeah, even in the past few games, I don't see that absolute domination that we're so used to seeing. And I don't like the excuses of like, oh, they won the last two. Like, no, that's what the U.S. does is we win all of them. We win every tournament. And I I just hope for the development of women's football within the U.S. that they continue on that trend and they kind of surprise us, Sid. Um, But like you, I, I have a lot of question marks. And one of those questions is, who is your nine going into this tournament? Well, I'm a big fan of Alex Morgan. I feel like earlier on in her career, I wasn't the biggest fan, but now I just feel like she has mastered a key point of being a nine, which is finishing. Push comes to shove, I feel like she ends up putting the ball in the back of the net given her opportunities. So if she has about five opportunities, let's say, one of them will be a goal. That being said, I'm not sure she can play for the same reasons you just mentioned, like with England, with Kira Walsh. I'm not sure she can play 90 minutes every game of the World Cup. Like, it's just not realistic. So big person who I'm hoping makes a comeback because I love watching her play. And I think she does a really good job as a false nine is Katarina Macario. As a false nine, I just think she does a really great job. She's so creative. And I feel like her and Rose end up linking really well together. And then her and Lindsay also link really well together. So I don't know with her knee injury if she'll be back in time or anything like that. But in terms of who's the best, I would say Alex is number one and then Kat is number two, considering she's healthy. That makes total sense. I think what we saw before was Alex Morgan and Mallory Swanson linking up really well. And so 
that 11 or seven role is up for grabs. You have people like Lynn Williams, um, Trinity Rodman, Ashley Hatch that could potentially sweep that up. But I think our forward line is something to have a question mark around. But I'm curious what the back line will look like as well, because you do have Gurma and I would put Becky right in center back. I think those two are locks. And then you have Crystal Dunn out on the left. But Kelly O'Hara hasn't been in the mix, really. Um, so who would you have at that right back position? Yeah, it's difficult because Dunn was obviously out with the birth of her son, Marcel, uh, and Emily Fox had a rocky start to, to her time with the national team, but I thought she did a pretty good job of like solidifying herself as the starting left back. But now that Dunn is back in, and I think Dunn is a for sure lock, there is that question mark. Um, you could put Sonnet there, not a big fan of her. Um, honestly, Abs, like, I'm not sure. I've always been a big fan of Kelly, but I feel like, you know, definitely it's her last cycle. She's not as healthy. She can't stay healthy like she used to. So I don't know. Big, big question mark. And you mentioned the locks of Gurma and Sauerbrunn. And as a center back, I wholeheartedly agree. But Vlaco likes Awana Cook and he puts her in and I'm not the biggest fan. I just feel like Becky and Gurma are way more consistent. But then you have Cook, who scored the only goal when the U.S. played Ireland in their, they had a two-game matchup, and they won that last game one nothing off of Cook's goal, which I it's, it wasn't even a shot. Like, she just tried to cross the ball, keeper made a mistake, and that's what they won on. So, I mean, I'm jumping back here, but the attack for the U.S. is so questionable that you're hanging on to a 1-0 win against the Republic of Ireland off a fluke goal from your center back, who, not for nothing, I don't think should be in the starting lineup. Yeah, I mean, I think you have bigger problems if your center back is scoring the only goal to take you in a 1-0 win over Ireland, nonetheless. Um, So I think he has a lot of fires to put out before the tournament even starts. But I think... You can always find goals, but if you bleed goals in tournament, you have no chance. And so I don't, I agree with you. I don't think Cook is seasoned the way Sauerbrunn is seasoned, um, especially for big tournaments. I think she makes mistakes under pressures defensively. But for me, that that outside back position is, is what's going to do the USA in. You have Lauren Hemp, who has so much pace. If you have her running at Emily Fox, who isn't, yeah, I wouldn't say she's a natural outside back. I think you're going to have a lot more problems than scoring goals. Yeah, I, I feel like we'll definitely have to break down um, when we get into talking about the groups in each team, breaking down this U.S. team, because like we said, there's so much potential here. And obviously to repeat two World Cups is no small feat. And as critical as we're being, that is something you want to see. Um simply as a fan of the game, it's incredible. And so you do want to support them in having that opportunity. But um, just have to say, like, based off of previous results and in this transition we've seen from the 2019 World Cup to now, Abby, safe to say we are critics of, of this squad. I'm hoping, hoping, crossing my fingers, to see the machine that we know and love. But yes, I am full of doubt. Yeah. And so I think it's safe to say, summarizing uh, these top five teams, the common trend between them is a bit of doubt 
And I feel like that's caused by lots of injuries, especially for England and in, in Team USA, um, and, and some doubt with other teams for other reasons as well, like not sure how players are going to step up, um, teams that have done shaky in previous tournaments. So I think it's interesting that this is our top five because I feel like the gap between one and ten in previous tournaments has been really, really big. And if we're looking at one, which is Team USA, and 10, which is Australia, I don't feel like the gap is that big, this this World Cup. I know. I feel like we were more excited about the six through 10 teams. Like, they're, they're up and coming, but also I feel like they're more dominant in their recent results. And so, yeah, it, it's great. It's great for the women's game that we have one through 10 and beyond that are in contention for this title. Whereas five years ago, you had like a top three and those were the teams that were going to win. So it, it's really exciting and it shows the progression of the game holistically. Yeah, 100%. So now that we've done the full breakdown abs, going to put you on the spot teams one through 10, who do you say top three have the best chance of potentially winning? Oh, la, 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 la. dang. With a healthy Alexia Puteas in form, I, I'm going to go, Germany is in the top three for me. England is in the top three for me. And in between USA and Spain for the third spot. Okay. I am going to say Spain, Germany. I don't know how much influence this is from the people that I'm around. Um, but I'm going to say Australia. Just because I think watching their documentary, um, being around the atmosphere here, I feel like the 12th man is really going to carry them. And maybe it's not actually to that first place spot, but I don't know, high hopes. And Shauna, I hope that makes you happy. And I'm not just saying it because you've been giving me crap about it. But um, yeah, I'm going to go with Australia as my third. And so that wraps up our two-part series on the FIFA rankings. Abs had a great time breaking these down. Stick around in later episodes. We're going to do a more specific team breakdown for each group. But we just wanted to give you guys a bit of a taste of who we're looking at as the top competitors in this 2023 World Cup. And so we're really looking forward to that breakdown in the future. But for now, we're over to you, Abby, with Hot Takes. All right, Sydney Ann, my hot take for you this week is I don't think that freshmen should be the only ones to take care of the gear. Oh, fun. Okay, so we're bringing it back to college. Um, no, I don't. I agree. I don't think they should be the only ones to take care of the gear. I mean, you and I used to bag up balls all the time. Um, I do understand the whole, like, it's messed up, but I understand the whole like earn your spot type thing or like um, hierarchy or like everybody does it type vibe. But I just feel like it ends up being so much better to team camaraderie if like the senior captain and the freshman newbie have the same same accountability when it comes to equipment. 
The only thing that I think ends up getting really frustrating is that you have the people who just have the self-awareness to understand like, okay, I'm standing right next to a ball bag. Let me just pick the ball bag up and walk and walk to the locker room to put it away. But then there are the people who just constantly walk by it. So you and I have been in situations before where we're like one of the last people out on the pitch and there's more equipment than there are people. And that I think is really frustrating. So there is a balance, of course, but I I just think it's really annoying when it becomes like this dreadful thing you have to assign to people. And so just giving it off to freshmen is an easy way to avoid that. Yeah, I just think it's like, the reason why I bring this up is I'm reading this book called The Culture Code. And it just talks a lot about that hierarchy and and the detriment of that hierarchy And you see that in the professional level as well. Like you have rookies or you have people that have been at the club for a long time that feel as though they've earned this right to not take the equipment, which by the way, taking equipment is nothing to be like crying about. Literally it's, it's not hard. You can take a ball bag. And so like, I I just don't appreciate the, I don't know if it's ego or just the idea that because you, have been on the team the longest you don't have the same responsibility as others and yeah I, th- I think it breaks down teams more than builds them up I-, I do think for the sense of like you said just making sure all of the equipment gets back in it's easier to assign people but I think if you're a great team you shouldn't have to assign people to that task no I 100% agree but you and I both understand like the maturity and just like the I don't know. I just feel like in college, like if we're talking about the professional sphere, like most of the time you have equipment managers or equipment people who do a really good job. And so a lot of the times maybe you're just moving equipment from like the bus to wherever on an away trip or, you know, you grab it on the way out to practice, yada, yada. So it's like much more small scale. But I feel like in the college game, when you don't have those equipment people and players are really responsible for the equipment in that way. Like, I don't know, Abs, how many times did we have to run because we lost balls or like people left stuff out on the pitch? Like it is a level of like still teaching accountability and responsibility at that age and like that level of maturity. So it's a nuisance, I think, to even have to talk about it. Like it's so simple. If there's equipment, pick it up, like done. But I just think given the educational piece of the college game as well as like a person in development I feel like it is something that you have to most teams have to address yeah I see what you're saying I I just think that like responsibility can be taught in less of a hierarchical way and I think if you saw a senior captain like taking the equipment you would therefore learn by someone sending an example rather than like this, Hey, you're a freshman, take it. So I I think you're right in saying that it is a learned responsibility in the college game, but I think the way we go about it is, is wrong. And I'm going to stick to that. Yeah, I agree with you. I think in an ideal world, we'd be living where you see it, you take it, you put it back, yada, yada. Everyone's responsible because you're a team at the end of the day and no one's above anyone. But I just think given I mean, not to be annoying, but like given a capitalist society, <laughs> like we do live in in hierarchical systems. And so that's why it's the way it is. But I agree with you. It's wrong. 
Well, I'm glad to know that you agree with me on that one. I feel like you had to have seen that coming. We have very similar philosophies, like, and we captain decide together. Like, we were always like that. So yeah, I feel like you gave me a T-ball for that one. Yeah, it's more so like a hot take that I just wanted to vent about because, you know, it irritates me. Fair. To- I've been there. Totally understand that. Great, great. Good to uh, end on an agreement. But looking ahead, games to watch. We're back in league play. Um, but what we really wanted to shout out was these documentaries that are coming out about the national teams, but also club football. So the Ireland women's national team just announced that they'll be having a documentary release before the World Cup. Super excited to see that as they're one of the smaller teams and the newer teams to the big stage. And it'll be great to see that insight. One of the documentaries that I recently watched was The Game That Changed Football. It's free on YouTube, produced by DAZN. It takes you deeper into the Barcelona game where they got 90,000 fans to come to Camp Nou um, for Champions League last year. It's just, I don't know, it pays great homage to where our game is going and where it is already at. And so I would advise everyone to take a watch. It's 30 minutes tops. And yeah, it's really cool to see one of the greatest teams in the world and how they performed on that big stage. And as always, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, feel free to email us at meggedpodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at meggedpodcast. We hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Please rate us and leave reviews on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Join us next week as we tackle new topics, fight over our different perspectives, and as always, our hot takes. See you next week on Megged.